You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you here this morning. Let me just say thank you so much for the appreciation for the gift. It's incredible. I'm super humbled. I want to just um, say that it's a privilege, it's an honor uh, to pastor this church. You guys are incredible. Um, I know that the world around us is growing darker and darker, uh, but I have so much hope for the local church and for what God is doing in the lives of his people to shine bright, not only here in our city, but across the world. So let me just say thank you so much. It is an honor to be your pastor. Um, Some of you gave me cards previously already. You sent encouraging notes. Somebody gave me some tamales. That was awesome. Um, Homemade bread, right? Like that. Like nothing screams I love you like some homemade bread. And tamales, okay. So that was amazing. But a trip to Florida, I'm not going to lie, that blew me away. Uh, You guys are amazing. We love you. Um, Thank you for being an incredible church. Thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for believing that our best days are still ahead of us. Amen? Amen. Well, today, listen, we're in part number four of our six-week message series entitled Spiritual Warfare, Our Battle Against the Forces of Darkness. And what we've been learning, if you are brand new with us, is this, is that there's always something you can't see influencing what you can see. There's always something that you can't see influencing what you can see. There's a war behind the war. I want you to know that. There's a war behind the war, and we wage war on three different fronts. The Bible talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Let me be clear that the unseen realm is very real. Demons and angels are real. They exist, and we have a very real enemy against us. His name is, of course, Satan. If you have missed any of this series, I would love for you to go back. We have a podcast. If you listen to podcasts on your smartphone or your iPad or whatever it is, we have an iPad or we have an iPad. We have a podcast you can download weekly. We also have a YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Weekly gets updated. So go back and listen to uh, any of the parts that you've missed. Part number three was a couple of weeks ago. I talked about freedom from demonic oppression or influence. And let me just say, if you weren't here, man, that was a powerful Sunday. So many of you came up, and we prayed for so many of you, and the stuff that we prayed for was heavy, like witchcraft, tarot cards, like inner vows. It was intense and amazing. But let me just say, Uh, It was incredible because God was moving in the house, church. It was so amazing. If you haven't listened to that message, go back and listen to it, Freedom from Demonic Influence. Today, I want to talk about the issue of identity. Before we do that, let me just take a moment. I want to pray for you guys, pray for us, and then we'll just dive right in. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. It's alive. It's active, sharper than a double-edged sword. God, it cuts through um, the, the, the bone and the marrow. It reads us while we read it. Father, we pray that by your spirit, your word would just come alive in our hearts, 
Lord, that um, you would just wake us up if we're uh, sleeping, if we're in slumber spiritually. God, that you might shake us just a bit, maybe knock us off our chairs, Lord. Open eyes, God, we pray. Would you unlock deaf ears? Some of our hearts are hardened uh, today, Lord, so soften those hardened hearts, God, because we cannot live into the life that you have for us if we live continually with a hardened heart, Lord. So soften our hearts, we pray, that we might see you, experience you, and enjoy you today. Come with power, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people said, amen, amen. The topic I want to talk about this morning is the topic of identity. The topic of identity. Let me start with a question. The question that we need to answer, it's probably one of the most important questions of our day, is this question, who are you? Who are you? If I were to ask you one-on-one conversation, who are you? How would you answer that question? Who are you? You, there's never been a time where the answer to that question is so vitally important as today. That is a just massive question and answer that we need to answer today. Who are you? Now, the disturbing thing about that question, or the answer rather to that question, is this in today's world, in the age that we're living in, Things that have already been settled by God are now being redefined. I hope that makes sense to some of you. I'll just be real clear in case some of you are not really sure what I'm talking about. But things that have already been settled, issues that have already been settled by God in his word are now being redefined. Let me get specific. Things like sex and gender. Those have already been established and settled by the word of God. Amen, church? Things like sexual orientation, things like even marriage and how we define marriage, those are now up for grabs, so to speak, in our culture, in our world, and they're being redefined. And therefore, what's happening is that it's shaping, guess what, who people are. Sex, gender, who I'm attracted to, you see what I'm saying? How I define marriage, those things are being redefined in culture, and those things in themselves, listen, define who we are. And so those those questions and those issues are vitally important. Church, it is no reason, this is the reason why Satan has initiated an all-out assault on young people and their identities. Satan has initiated an all-out assault on young people. In fact, Satan would love nothing more than a whole generation lost and clueless and confused about who they are. 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16, 17, 18, 19, wherever you find yourself, if you're a young person today, there is an all-out onslaught against you from Satan about who you are. 21, 22, doesn't really matter, actually. You can be young, you can be old, and there is a war going on right now about our identity. 
Because Satan knows this. Satan knows that, listen, that our identities are life-shaping, they are emotion-causing, and they are relationship-defining. Okay? Our identities, what we find, our identity, listen, it's life-shaping, emotion-causing, and relationship-defining. Let me just be very clear for you. It'll be on the screen. Your personal identity or how you perceive yourself, listen, governs how you live. Your personal identity or how you perceive yourself, church, listen, it governs how you live. Let me, just, let me give you some examples. I want to be clear with you so you know where I'm going this morning. If you think of yourself, if you perceive yourself as a failure, guess what happens? You live your life as a failure. In other words, everything you walk into, new opportunities, new ventures, you have a mindset that eventually, listen, there's a predisposition inside of you that says, a voice that says eventually you're going to fail at this thing. You're just going to fail. If you think of yourself as unlovable, well, get, what happens? Well, you enter into relationships that are unhealthy, maybe dating relationships where you try to prove that you can be lovable by exchanging something you guys can fill in the blanks here, to that person so that you'll, you'll be lovable. You're trying to earn love. You can be 15 years old. You can be 45 years old. It doesn't matter. But if you're unlovable, if you think you're unlovable, you'll live like you're unlovable. What about this? If you're a victim, I'm just a victim of everyone's sin. I'm a victim. Listen, you may have been a victim of something horrendous, but if you live your entire life as a victim, you're going to have a victim mentality. And you know what characterizes a victim? Helplessness. Helplessness. Victims don't take action. They don't empower themselves. They're not empowered. They're just victims, and so they have a victim mentality. If you think you're inferior, you'll live your life like you're inferior to everyone who is around you. Church, this is massive today. This idea, this topic is massive. Like, like your identity, everything comes out of that. And if you got wounds and if you perceive yourself uh, to be, again, not in line with who God says you are, it will affect the way you live. It'll affect your actions. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect the way you father your kids, the way you mother your kids. It just affects everything. It just bleeds out into all of life. And so Satan knows this. Satan's job is to get you to live outside of your God-given identity. Why? Because when you do that, here's what happens. You live outside of your God-given purpose. And when you do that, you live outside of God's revealed will for your life as found in Scripture. Outside of the identity leads to living outside of your purpose, which leads to living outside of the revealed will of God found in Scripture. Like, you're going to just, you're going to live outside of that by default, church. And Satan knows this. He knows this. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to begin today, but I want to give you three case studies found in Scripture this morning, three instances where God just shows up and he speaks identity into his people. Like, this is good stuff, you guys. God shows up and he speaks identity into his people. And um, we see the angel of the Lord showing up and the Lord shows up. Now, let me just give you a quick uh, theological note here. When the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, 
Most commentators and theologians mean it's the Lord, like the Lord is the messenger. In fact, early church fathers like Tertullian, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, they believed that this was the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ showing up. So when we see the angel of the Lord in Scripture, it doesn't just mean a random angel. It's like God is showing up. He's showing up, and he has a message. And so here, we're going to look at three different stories quickly where God shows up and he reminds his people who they are. The first one shows up in Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 16. We'll go there in just a moment. You may remember the story. God comes to Abram, and he says, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you the father of many, of a great nation. You're going to have descendants more numerous than the stars. And, and Abram's like, I don't get it. I don't have any kids. I'm getting older. So if you follow the story in Scripture, you know what happens. Abram and his wife, Sarai, they get pretty impatient with God. Have you ever been impatient with God? Maybe a few of you are like, God, I thought you promised me this. <laughs> well, like, I don't see you showing up. And what happens when people get impatient with God? Here's what happens. They take things into their own hands, don't they? It's like, I'm going to take this blessing myself. I'm going to do it myself. For some reason, God forgot, or he's, he's not here. I'm just going to do it my way. And we do it our way, and then it just messes everything up, right? It just, everything, we're just, it just messes everything up. We make a mess of ourselves is what happens. So here's what happens. <clears throat> they have grown impatient. Sarai says to Abram, why don't you go ahead and sleep with the Egyptian servant, Hagar, my Egyptian servant, Hagar, and see if you can have a child with her as if that's not going to cause any damage to the relationship. Hello, right? Talk about drama for your relationship. And what does Abram do? He's like, all right, that sounds good. Like a side chick? Okay, wait. And he doesn't, he goes and just does that thing. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, he said that? I said that. And um, <clears throat> um, so Abram's like, all right, that sounds good. Like she said it, so I guess I'm good to do that, right? And then what happens is that Sarai mistreats Hagar because, well, hello, she got pregnant with Abram. She slept with him, so of course she's going to be a little mad at her, right? There's some animosity. And so Hagar's like, I'm out of here. I don't need this. I don't need you. Deuces, I'm out. And so she just leaves town. She's running away from circumstances because she's had enough. She's been used and abused, and she's like, this is a dysfunctional family at its best. I am out of here. And so the angel of the Lord shows up, and he's got a message. He's going to speak identity into Hagar. Check this out. Beginning in verse number nine. Then the angel of the Lord told her, he says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. She's like, really? Really, God? I mean, that's the last thing that she wants because of all the drama that's taken place. The angel added, I will increase your descendants. Like, I have something for you. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. This is the father of the Arab people, by the way. This is where the Arab uh, nations have descended from, Ishmael. Okay? Notice the description here. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery he will be a wild donkey, literally a wild ass of a man. Uh, his hand will be against everyone. Dude is going to be fighting all the time, okay? And everyone's hand against him. Have you noticed that the news is always centered around the Middle East? 
There's a con there's constant conflict there, right? This is the prophecy. It was fulfilled. He will live in hostility, listen, toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are God. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I love this because the angel of the Lord shows up to Hagar and says, listen, I know what you're feeling right now. I know you're stressed. I know you're angry. You feel like you've been abandoned, forsaken, um, abused, used up, okay, kicked to the curb. And let me just say, Hagar, I have news for you. I know who you are. And I have a plan for you. And I have a purpose for you. I know that you've been sinned against but I still have a purpose for your life. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but do you feel like that? Maybe you felt like that. You've been forsaken, abandoned, used by someone, and you're just like, I'm done. I am just done. And you're on your way out the door. You're exiting, and the Lord comes to you today through me. I'm his servant, and I get to speak identity over you today. The Lord would say to you through me, I know who you are. I see you. I see you. Yeah. Shows up to Hagar, begins to speak over her. It doesn't take long for this to happen again. In our second case study, Genesis chapter 17, the very next chapter, the Lord, God shows up to Abram, and he reminds him of who he is. Now, Abram is 95 years old. Now, Abram, again, he's already taken things into his own hands because why? Well, he's frustrated with God. He's impatient. He thinks he can do it better than God. And all of us are, right, we do the same thing. We think we can do it better. We're faster than God. Um, we have the money in the bank to pull it off, whatever, right? We'll do it. It's not a big deal. I, I, I'll do what I want to do. Well, Abram's done that. He's kind of made a big mess of the situation. Of course, all kinds of drama in the household. Hello, we knew this was going to happen, right? You knew this was going to happen, Genesis 17, here's what it says, beginning in verse number one. When Abram was, what time is it, 12.06, okay. When Abram was 99 years old, sorry, I have a lot of content, so I want to make sure I get through this. 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be, be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and, it, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, just hits the ground like, man, when you speak to God, God speaks to you in this way. It is, God is not your homeboy. He is the Lord Almighty. You will be afraid, shivering in your boots. This is what Abram experiences. Abram fell face down and said, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. I love this. Your name will be Abraham. There's a name change in the ancient Near East, there was, there was such importance. There was so much identity wrapped up in a name. So God's like, I have to change your name, fool. Like, I'm giving you a new name. Maybe that will wake you up. So he's like, I'm, gonna come in, I'm coming to you, Abram, and I'm speaking identity over you. I'm reminding you of who you are. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And so here it is again, right? Um, God comes to Abram. Abram's taking things into his own hands. And maybe you're here this morning and that's you. It's like you, you're like, I'm done. 
I'm going to take, take things into my own hands. And then what happens? You just make a big mess. It's like just a big mess everywhere. You, you hurt your friends. It hurts your marriage. It just messes everything up. And the Lord comes to you today through me and says, let me speak identity over you. And you, you've made a mess of yourself. It's true. You made a mistake. You took this into your own hands. And the Lord just says, I'm patient and I know you. And so start living into the identity that he speaks into you today. This is the message, right? One last case study for you today. We'll stick in the Old Testament. It's with Gideon. This is in Judges chapter 6. Now, if you don't know much about Gideon, you should read up on him. Great story. Either way, the Lord has given Israel over to her enemies because of her sin. Israel, remember, at their very heart, they were idolatrous. And so God gives them over to her enemies. God's basically like, I'm going to let your enemies defeat you because you guys are stubborn, you're hard-hearted, and you worship idols. So this is what happens. The Lord comes to Gideon and speaks identity over him, and Gideon is like, are you talking to me? Like, you, you sure there ain't someone else here? So Judges chapter 6, here's what the text tells us. Verses 11 and 12, the angel of the Lord, remember, this is not a random angel. This is like the Lord himself, okay, pre-incarnate Christ, what many think. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to uh, Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. These are the enemies of God, the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, here, here it is. The Lord speaking identity over Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Isn't that good? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In other translations, it says this. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Ooh, come on. You mighty. Wives, call your husbands that. See what happens. You mighty man of valor. He'll just puff his chest out. What do you need, babe? I got you. Right? You mighty man of valor. And Gideon is like, what, what, wait, 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 who, me? He's like, yeah, you, right? You mighty warrior. And now here's the thing. Gideon felt like he was the weakest, like he was the, 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 the lowest among his tribesmen, among his people, among his family. He's like, I, I don't know if... You, like, are you seriously talking to me? Because I'm not that guy. Like, what you just said doesn't really describe me, God. Like, I know I'm speaking it into you, brother. This is who you are. You're just living way below that. You mighty man of valor. You mighty woman of valor. That's amazing. Let me just say this to some of you this morning. Maybe you feel like you're the weakest. In your, in your tribe, well, we don't have tribes, but we have friends. You're the weakest, maybe among those who you're with in your family. Maybe you feel unqualified, disqualified at work. You lack all the skills. Like, you just don't have it. Like, you're, you don't add up is what you feel like. Now, the Lord just comes to you through me and says, hey, I see you, you mighty man or woman of valor. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, and you're, you're thinking, I don't, I don't know. I, here's the thing, God, I have all these insecurities, and um, 
I gained a little weight over the last couple of months, and I look awkward in pictures, and like, I only get like five likes for every post, and like, I, I, don't, I don't know God, and he's just like, no, 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 listen, let me speak identity into you and over you. That leads us to the question of this, is where do we normally derive our identities from, right? So we see these people in Scripture. They're not living up to the identities that God has given them. We know that. So how did they come to find the identity that they have? Like, isn't that a good question? I feel like that's a good question. We should answer that question. Normally, we derive our identities from three different places, and I want to give you three directional words to help you describe this, okay? Three directional words to help you describe this. We find our identities. We form them inside, outside, and above. Inside, outside, and above. Inside, outside, and above. Let me begin to describe this for you, and this is like, like we have all this, in, this is, all of us have this in common. This is not just, oh, a few people do this. No, no, no. This is like all of us do this, okay? This is like a human thing. To be human is to find your identity inside, outside, or above, okay? The first place we can find our identity or form it is on the inside. Well, what does that mean? Okay, it means this. It means that we form an identity based on what we think about ourselves. Listen to this. How we view ourselves, and even more so, more importantly in our culture today, is how we feel about ourselves. Have you noticed that in culture, feelings have, have a new authority now? Feelings have all the authority now in culture. The Word of God is meant to be authoritative for the believer's life, but for so many people, feelings are authoritative. When we look inside of us, when we begin to form opinions and perspectives of who we are, we look at ourselves, we, we, we think about who we are, and listen, it's never accurate because normally when we do this so often, we're, we're taking our cues from mom or dad or, you know, maybe someone who hurt you 10 years ago, five years ago. We're building an inaccurate view of who we are based on what we see on the inside or from someone else's words, okay? And it's just, if I'm honest, it's an inaccurate picture. It really is. What about feelings? Well, feelings are the same way. Again, feelings in our culture is king. Feelings have become the new authority in our day and age. But think about this. Feelings are at best fickle, unreliable, and they consistently change. Feelings are fickle, they're unreliable, and they, they change, you guys. Like, they often change. And I, I want to say this, and, and I, could, I could use a, a big amen after I say this, not to boost my ego, but just to, to know that you agree, to know that we're tracking, like we're, we're, like, um, like we're on this, like, here's my lane, here's your lane, and we're, like, tracking together, you know what I'm saying? So I could use an amen to, to know that you're there with me. Let me just say this, just because you have a certain feeling about yourself doesn't make it true. Just because you feel a certain way about a characteristic, about the way that you look, 
how other people think about you, how the opposite sex looks towards you. Just because you have a feeling about something does not make it true. Your feelings are not authoritative, okay? They're not authoritative. Why not? I just said it. They're fickle, they're unreliable, and they change. They change all the time, right? I hope that you can see where this leads to a train wreck when it comes to shaping and forming our identities, right? Feelings at best are just unreliable. Yes, they can be an indicator of things inside. I will say that much. Feelings can be an indicator of, 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 of the temperature in your soul. Yes, so we should like acknowledge them. I agree on that part. But we have to really be careful that we're not giving them all the weight in the world, okay? The second place that we form our identities is from the outside, okay? So the first place was inside, how we, how we look at ourselves, how we view ourselves, how we feel about who we are. The second place is outside. What does that mean? It means this. We form our identities by three different things, what we do, what we have, and who we know. What we do, what we have, and who we know. What we do is things like our occupations, our career, right? I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm an electrician, um, I'm a doctor, whatever, I mean, whatever it is, I'm an artist, I'm a painter, I'm a dancer, all of those different things, those millions of things, and we wrap our identities in that thing, right? Whatever it is, we wrap our identities in that thing. Sometimes we wrap our identities in what we have, right? The stuff that we have, like the clothes, and look at the Escalade that I just bought. I can't afford it. That crazy $700 payment, I can't afford it, but I look good, right? I be looking good, and that's what counts. And my friends think I have a lot of money, but we broke as a joke, and we're in debt up to our eyeballs, and we make so many payments, but we feel good about ourselves. And we look good about ourselves. We, 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 we we look good, therefore we must be good. We find our value in the things that we have and the square footage and the, and the possessions that we own, all of those things. We're finding our identity. Hey, nothing wrong if you want to get a nice car, uh, but if you're wrapping your identity, you're destined for a train wreck, okay? Just to put it lightly. Even good things we wrap our identities. I'm a pastor. I'm a worship leader. That's phenomenal, right? That's great. But let me just say a couple of different things about the big problem with finding identity in these things, okay? If you find your identity in the things that you have, here's what happens. When you find your value in, in the things that you have, those things get old very quickly, and then you soon need new things to replace that. And so your value is like fluctuating up and down, up and down, and it's like, hey, I got a cool flannel on today. But in a week, I'm going to need me another flannel, so I'll be at Old Navy looking for what's new, right? Because I'm finding my value in my clothes and the way that I appear to my friends. I'm finding my value in the car that I drive and the square footage, the house. Hey, again, if you have a nice house, that's awesome. If you ever have a great car, have a great car, you know, wonderful. Good on you, right? I'm, I'm, hey, thumbs up. But don't wrap your identity in that because it's just, it won't work. What about this? When you find your identity in what you do, even the good things that you do, listen, listen, careful with that one. Why? Because what you do or what you have was never meant to carry the weight of who you are. Y'all didn't hear that. 
What you do and what you have was never meant to carry the weight of who you are. Let me put it like this. What if the thing that you do, whatever it is, and it can be a good thing, what if the thing that you do suddenly you can't do anymore? It gets taken away from you or you can't do it anymore. Who are you then? Who are you then? And so many people, if they can't do that thing for a season, if they can't do that thing permanently, they have no idea who they are. And so they go on this, they have really an identity crisis. Because I was so wrapped up in this thing over here and and doing that. And everything about me was wrapped up in that thing that I do. But now it's taken away from me. Listen, who are you at the end of the day, right? Who are you? It's never meant to carry that type of weight. And people who do this, listen, I promise you, it's an identity crisis, and they, they wander. They wander throughout life. A wanderer is someone who does not have purpose. That's why they wander, because they don't know. What do I do now? What should I do? Who am I? And they ask that question over and over over again. Who am I? Finally, we can derive our identities from above. This is the place that we should find our identity. What's that mean? Well, above is the place It's much better than the things that we own or have. It's much better than how we feel about ourselves or feelings in general. It's much better than how we perceive ourselves to be or how attractive we think we are or we're not. Finding your identity in above is so much better because it's wrapped up in what God says who you are. Now, this is the way that Jesus found his identity. He is the model for us. And no matter what you do, no matter how much money you make, listen, I want you to find your identity in Christ and what God says about you and who you are. I'll show you. I'll show you what what the Father says about Jesus. This is profound. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, right, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. This is an epic moment in the scripture. Saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, now listen to the Father's voice, you guys. This is really, really amazing. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. What is the father doing? Speaking identity into Jesus. Did you notice that Jesus does not get wrapped up in what he does? Jesus is not like, hey, check this out. Bread. Check that out. A Tesla. You don't even know that existed yet. Boom. Check that out. Right. He's not like trying to like impress anybody. He doesn't get wrapped up in teaching or preaching. He doesn't even get wrapped up in casting out demons, even though those things are amazing, right? Jesus doesn't get wrapped up into any of those things that he does. Rather, he's looking and listening for the Father's voice, the Father to speak identity into his life. And from there on, Jesus goes into ministry from that point on. That shapes the way the rest of his life would look. I want to point out the three things that the Father says because they're so important, they they really need to be repeated. Number one, the Father says that Jesus is his son. Did you notice that? This is my son. 
He didn't say this is a random stranger. This is some dude I don't know. He says, this is my son. The basis upon which Jesus relates to God is as a son to his father. That's a unique and powerful relationship. It's not random. It's very specific. This is my son. Number two, the father says this, that he loves his son. He says, this is my beloved. Jesus is loved. He's been fully accepted, receives the, father lo the father's love. So from the get-go, listen, Jesus received his father's love. He's not trying to work for God's love. He already has it. Some of us, listen, we're going through life trying to find, trying to find ways to be loved. You just haven't received the love of the Father yet. You believe in God. You even love God. Listen, but you just haven't received his love yet for you. Because it shapes the way you live your life. That's how we know. That's how we know you haven't received his love. You believe in him. You've been moral. You've, you've followed the rules. You know what I'm saying? You followed all the rules, and you still haven't actually received the love of the Father. Because when you do, it changes your life. It radically changes. Like, you don't need anyone's approval. There's a new confidence on the inside of you. I have the love of the Father. The Father loves me. It shows me. I'm loved. I'm not abandoned. I'm not forsaken. I'm not an orphan. I'm not looking for love from the opposite sex. I'm not jumping in bed with somebody just so I can feel loved. I already am loved, right? I'm loved. This is what Jesus says. Finally, number three, God says, God the Father says he's well-pleased with Jesus. He's well-pleased with Jesus. Again, why is this so important? Because up until this point, Jesus hadn't really begun his ministry. He hadn't done anything. And the Father already says he's pleased with him. Right? Again, Jesus hasn't done the loaves and the fish. He hasn't cast out the demons. He hasn't healed the man who was blind. He hasn't spit in the mud and did that cool trick way back then, right? Jesus hadn't done any of that. And what does the father say? I'm pleased with you. You know what? My son, my son doesn't have to earn my approval. I'm just pleased with him. Why? Because he's my son. I'm pleased with him. Now, do I get upset at him? Of course I do sometimes, like any parent. But he's not, he's not trying to work for daddy's love. He's got daddy's love. He's approved. He's accepted. I'm pleased with him because he's my boy, right? And then the same thing happens here. The Father says, I'm pleased with Jesus. Now, let's turn these three things, and we need to turn them on us now. We need to turn these three things, and we need to turn them on us now, okay? Number one, first, we are loved as sons and daughters, okay? We don't simply relate to God as cosmic creator, big man in the sky, old man in the sky, old dude in the sky, whatever, right? No, 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 no. We're sons and daughters. So when we approach him, we're not just slaves, we're not servants, we're not orphans. We're sons and daughters. And that's of you as well if you're in Christ, your son or daughter. This shapes the way you pray, by the way. It should shape the way you pray. You need a revelation of the love of the Father before you can have a vibrant spiritual or a vibrant prayer life. You first have to have a revelation of the love of the Father before you can have a vibrant prayer life. Why? Because it'll just feel like you're praying to the cosmic creator. No, 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 no. You are a son and you're going to daddy. 
When you get a revelation, it'll change your life. Some of you need a revelation. It needs to be revealed to you. 1 John 3, 1, see what, the great, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Second, we are loved, right? We are loved. We're loved by God. Again, we're not earning it. God doesn't love you some more weeks than other weeks. Hey, you read your Charles Stanley devotional this week, so therefore God loves you more this week, but you didn't read it last week, so God doesn't really love you. He didn't really love you that much last week, but he, now you're doing the right thing. He loves you more this week. No, you're just loved. So you operate out of love. You live your life out of I'm love. You're not looking for it. You're not trying to grasp it from a male or a female. You're not trying to jump into bed with somebody. You're loved. Like, you don't, you're fine. You're good. You're loved by the Father, the one who knows you by name, the one who knows the hairs on the top of your head, the one who formed you in the womb. You're loved. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? In love. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's amazing. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Listen, Paul's like, hey, you need a revelation God's love is so enormous, but I hope that you can grasp it. I hope you can begin to just kind of get a glimpse of that love. That is an apostolic prayer. I love that. And that's the prayer uh, that God has for all of us, that we might experience that type of love. Finally, number three, God is well pleased with you in Christ. If you're in Christ, what happens if you're not in Christ? He's not well pleased, actually, because your sin has not been uh, taken care of. You haven't put your faith yet in God, if you're not in Christ, what should you do? You should repent of your sin and turn to Christ, right? Turn from your wickedness and your rebellion and your stubbornness and place your hope in Jesus Christ and then begin to live your life in a way that resembles the character of God. But if you're in Christ, he's pleased with you. How do we know? Because you have a righteousness that's not your own. The righteousness that you've been given is not one that you earned, it was given to you by Jesus. It's been imputed to you is what theologians often say. Right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 in there. Church, I want to remind you that you are not defined by what you've done or by what, something has, or by what someone has done for you you're not defined by the money that you make. You're not defined by the clothes that you wear, cars that you drive. You're not defined by your career. And you may have a great career, and that's amazing, and I'm, that's fantastic. We celebrate that. You, you may have a great career, but you're not defined by your career, actually, okay? If you build your life on your career, when it gets taken from you, your life will crumble. You can do good things for Jesus, but if you build your life on those things, when it's taken from you or you can, you can no longer do it, listen, your life will crumble. Crumble. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to end our time. We're going to sing a song together. And Adam is going to sing identity into you and over you. And I just want you to receive it. I want you to worship. 
read the lyrics. The song is called, I Am His Beloved. Some of you, you've been looking for an identity inside of yourself. It's all based upon what you think about yourself. Some of you have formed an identity about how you feel about yourself and your feelings. And they fluctuate. Come on, your feelings go up and down. You feel good about yourself one day. The next day, you don't feel so great about yourself. I mean, they fluctuate at best, but they're unreliable. They're unreliable. And I want you to be reminded this morning of whose you are. You are Christ, and Christ is yours. And what he says about you, church, listen, is the most important thing for you. Why? Because the way that you perceive yourself, your personal identity is what will govern your life. This is massive, massive implications for an identity here. So we're going to pray, and we're going to sing together. This morning, my prayer for you is that you'll begin to receive a perspective change, and then you'll begin thinking new thoughts about who you are, and then finally, you'll begin behaving differently about who you are. It doesn't just start with what you know. It has to transform its way to what you think about yourself, and then ultimately, how you behave. We are His beloved, and He is ours. I want to pray with you this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for um, this message, God, and the battle for our identity. Father, would you speak your word into our hearts this morning that we are loved, God, we're sons and daughters, and that you're well pleased with us. Uh, Father, I pray right now for my brothers and my sisters who have not experienced the revelation of your love. I have found in pastoral ministry that it is far too many people who have not actually received the Father's love. Because of that, they're living way below where they should be living. Father, we pray, I pray, God, that you would open hearts, and God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give people a revelation of who they are, your love, in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand up. Let's, uh...